Welcome friends to episode two of Rewildology. Today I'm chatting with Dave Johnson, who may just be the nicest person I've ever met in my life. We explore his personal journey of discovering what he truly wanted to do in life, why he made the big career shift to starting his own nonprofit, and what it was like growing up in a conservative household as a gay man. So a little more about Dave. Dave is a zookeeper who has been working with the Pachyderm Collection in Denver for over 22 years. He is also the executive director of the Katie Adamson Conservation Fund, which is a nonprofit that works on wildlife initiatives and global partnerships to help save species and provide sustainability options for the local people wanting to make a difference. He writes kids' books and leads community trips abroad to highlight their work. Dave wants to spread his passion to the next generation of animal nerds. So here's my combo with Dave. This is actually my first time using this software, so okay. <laughs> we're figuring it out. We're all figuring it out together. Um, but yeah, so thanks again, Dave, for coming on. And yes, I'll toast to that. So I see you drink your beer. <laughs> cheers, cheers, Brooke. <laughs> cheers. Cheers to a great conversation. Um, yeah, so kind of just to start out, because even though you and I are both in Colorado, neither of us are from Colorado. And True. from what I remember, you're from the Appalachians as well. <laughs> yep. Yep. North Carolina. <laughs> yep. Just the other side. Just the other side. Mm -hmm. I'm from Southern Ohio. So the complete mm -hmm. opposite side of the range. <laughs> but tell me about your childhood. Like, I don't think we've had a chance to really talk about how you grew up, where you grew up. And yeah. Okay. I um. I was born in Florida, but uh, uh, my mom and dad divorced, and I moved back to my mom's um, hometown of Hot Springs, North Carolina, when I was in kindergarten. So that's where I developed my accent. So, uh, so, uh, so that's uh, in the Appalachians. It's right on the Appalachian Trail. It's uh, you know right right in the Smokies. It's a uh, just beautiful, beautiful country. I was a whitewater rafting guide growing up, and just spent a lot of time outdoors um, there in the in Western North Carolina. We were six miles away from Tennessee. So that was where I, I grew up and, you know, lots of deer and bear and, and birds and all kinds of really great wildlife around. I did a mountain lion sensitivity study with the uh, Western North Carolina Nature Center when I was 15, 16 years old. I, I volunteered, um, got my, my state driver's license. I was driving around a state truck when I was 16. Uh, taking uh, mountain lion uh, urine and fecal samples from the nature center up and putting them up along um, the Blue Ridge Parkway to see if there were any eastern mountain lions left. Um, National Geographic was going to do a study, and so they needed a lot of partners out trying to get tracks. I did um, I clay uh, or, or cast of tracks um, of, of mountain lions that uh, supposed cougars that I would encounter. Um, and would put film canisters with cotton and put urine in there in the middle of a big scraped area to where I could get footprints and stuff. And I was doing that in high school. So I was always just this big animal nerd, um, worked at the Nature Center, got a degree in wildlife biology at Chapel Hill, and uh, and then just started my career um, working with animals. I just had always, uh, Brooke loved, loved them, always done art with animals, always read books about animals. Any paper that I had to write for school was always about, uh, I remember in college, I did like a 15 page research paper on Russian wildlife. 
So I always was tying in my passions with everything that I did um, and wanted to go to zoos and national parks, you know, all growing up. And my parents just couldn't figure me out. Um, my mom said I gave my pacifier to a spider monkey and got her in trouble when I was little. Um, I climbed a fence and ran on a, uh, on a fence line with cheetah, got my mom in trouble. I, uh, I, uh, she, she heard me laughing and she couldn't find me. And I bought all these crackers and stuffed them in my pockets and laid out a, a, in a herd of deer. <laughs> and uh, my mom was just oh like, my I, gosh. I was, a, I was like, you know, five years old in the middle of all these deer and letting them eat the crackers out of my pockets. So uh, that was, uh, that was it. But I think the worst though was um, I pretended I was an ostrich for about three days, she said. So I, <laughs> What? I had I had wings. I would walk around. I wouldn't use a fork. I would peck at my food. And she took me to a therapist because <laughs> I was an ostrich. Really? Yes. I was an ostrich for three days. I was her little ratite. So uh, I wouldn't. <laughs> How but, old were you when this happened? I was still in Florida. So I was probably four, five years old. Um, but wow. she said the doctor was like, hey, he'll outgrow this phase. And my mom just always loved to say, you never did. No. <laughs> now you do this as a career, you know, and you get paid to work with animals and travel around the world, you know, doing conservation stuff. So uh, it's kind of funny, but that was, that was kind of my background. Uh, just always, uh, always trying to get some, something involved with, uh, with animals and, uh, and that field. Wow. That's awesome. Um, now it's okay if you don't if it's if it didn't. But did, was your father? Did he like support you during this stuff? Did he stay in Florida when you went to the Carolinas? Or he did. He stayed. Uh, my mom, um, she uh, she got pregnant really early, right out of high school. And so when they didn't work, she moved back home. And um, my grandparents really stepped up and took care of me and my brother while my mom went to college. And so we we lived right there with my my grandparents and. Uh, my mom was driving back and forth to school. My dad was still in Florida, but still very much in our in our lives. And then uh, my mom uh, remarried when I was about eight. And uh, Frank, uh, my stepdad, uh, really raised me and my brother. And him and my mom were oh, very yeah. supportive of all my my animal stuff. So they were, yeah, very very excited about everything. They they always wanted me to be a vet or do something that made more money. Um, they were hoping oh, I yeah. would, yeah, I, I would pursue, <laughs> pursue something that uh, had more zeros in the salary. Yeah. <laughs> Some of my buddies from college started uh, going to dental school and one of them left wildlife with me and went on to dental school and became a dentist. And my, my mom and dad were like, doesn't that sound awesome? And I was like, no, that does not sound <laughs> awesome. I said, I do not want to be a dentist. I want to do something in the field. So I worked at a zoo in South Carolina for four years after college and then took off for Alaska and did radio telemetry work with bears for the Bureau of Land Management. So tried to use my wildlife degree, um, took a nine-month seasonal position up there, but um, didn't really uh, like it. I missed people. Uh, when they drop you off in a chopper and you're out with one other bear biologist that's kind of, uh, you know, antisocial. He wanted me to stay away from him. Here's your gold pan. Here's your shotgun. You put your tent way over there. I was like, wow, this really kind of sucks. I kind of miss miss the community. So that's when I realized that I wanted to use my degree more for 
conservation education, uh, be more around a community like a zoo. Um, so went to Kentucky and worked at a wildlife education center and then came to Denver and thought, gosh, I'm a little tumbleweed. I need to, I need to at least stay five years in Denver. And now I've been here almost 23 years. So, uh, great, great zoo, uh, great community, a uh, wonderful place. It's like taking the Appalachians and putting them on steroids. Now I got the Rocky mountains, <laughs> you know, I, uh, feel you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, I can, I can have more wildlife and bigger mountains and more fun. And, uh, so when I came out here, we, we were backpacking around the country and we climbed Mount Meeker and camped out up in Rocky mountain national park. And I, I went to a Rockies game back in 93 and I was like, I want to live there one day. And five years later, I got the, the job and uh, moved to Colorado. So kept it always in my, my mind that, uh, Hey, that, that Denver area looks pretty, pretty interesting. So uh, never left about the Rockies. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's something about the Rockies. It calls to your heart. Like, I think once you come out here, once you're like, well, this is going to sometime be my home in some way, shape or form, especially it sounds like because you were kind of all over the place and somehow yeah. you ended up here. So was it a job that officially brought you out here or um, what yep. officially or did you like kind of just on the wind came out here? Or? No, I was I was working in Kentucky and uh, and we had uh, indigenous wildlife. So I was working with bison and elk and birds of prey. I was doing a lot of stuff with peregrine falcons and eagles. And, you know, of course, I'm kind of. Uh, uh, the love, love the one you're with kind of guy, you know, every time I'm with different animals, I'm like, Oh, this is it. This is the animals I want to work with forever. This is my species and this is my jam. And then I'm like, Oh wait, shiny. <laughs> and I go to another job. <laughs> and, uh, yes. so, uh, the, the job here in Denver was with, um, pachyderms. And so in South Carolina, I'd worked with African Asian elephants, uh, white rhino. So I had experience. And so, uh, so I just came out here and took the, the big mammal test with the city. And, uh, I think there was, I think there was about 65 of us that took the test, um, for one spot. And so you had to be proficient enough in all your animal knowledge to get into the top five. And then they looked at your interviews. Um, and so they granted me an out of state interview. And if I, once I tested in the top five, they called me back and they, they hired me, um, for the pachyderm spot. Wow. So, so I packed up all my stuff and, uh, moved West to Colorado and, uh, have been here ever since. It's, uh, been oh pretty, gosh. pretty amazing. And that was in 98, correct? Yep. 98. 98. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. So you just came out here and didn't know anybody. You're like, this is the job for me. I got the mountains. I'm mm -hmm. coming out here. Yep. Oh my God. That's awesome. Co Coming out, um, the people that I visited with and climbed Mount Meeker with, I uh, two of my soccer buddies had gotten married out here, uh, Tracy and Scott, and so they were in this area briefly and then moved away. But uh, so they were like my only connection here. And when we were going through, um, their brother Scott said, "Hey, let's stop in Denver and see my my sister and her husband." And so we had all played soccer together growing up. So that led me to going to the Rockies and climbing Mount Meeker and seeing Rocky Mountain National Park and just got that, that excitement for this area of the country. And just to get out of the Carolinas, you know, uh, growing up in a little town, uh, always around your family, I think it gave me a little bit of wanderlust. I can, 
I can relate to that <laughs> very strongly. I don't How know if anyone you been ever out here asked now? you. How long have you been um, out here, Dr. Almost Brooke? exactly five years. Okay. Our like fifth year Colorado anniversary is in like a week or two or something like nice. that. Okay. So yeah, it's, I mean, if anywhere has felt like home, it's here. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you've definitely have the exact same feelings. It just, it just attracts people who are very outdoorsy, mm-hmm. who just love playing outside. Um, mm-hmm. Cause even right now, cause so we're recording this in December of 2020, everything is still so shut down and Denver is pretty shut down. Yeah. Um, and but we still have the mountains. So, mm-hmm. you know, just as long as you know how with your mask and you're smart. I mean, I wear a buff mm-hmm. like when we're hiking, but mm-hmm. you can still do that. So there's still mm-hmm. some sort of freedom that we have here, which I know I appreciate. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much you're able with how much you do. I don't know if you're <laughs> able to still, <laughs> to still get out in the mountains much or um, do you? Well, I, you um, I still I still do. You know, we're still climbing 14ers and we do. Uh, we started doing that climbing for rhinos stuff. So we were doing. 14ers and getting pledges and donations and everything that led me to climb Kilimanjaro. So the whole mountain thing being here led to this whole offshoot of, of the conservation reality is that, you know, Hey, I can lead people up these, these mountains and uh, we can get people to pledge, you know, a certain amount of money. So I took 20 people to Tanzania back in 2016. And we, uh, we had 12 of us make it to the summit of Kilimanjaro and, we raised ten thousand dollars for black rhinos, so uh, it was all all you know we put in and and uh, uh, just the the outdoor vibe here you know the running the races I, I ran a marathon here back in two thousand ten I, I did the Colfax marathon and so I made elephant shirts and we we raised ten thousand dollars that year so it just became something like wow I can I can put my love of nature and exercise and outdoors coupled with my conservation passion and get this whole community involved and invested in, in making the planet just a better place for everybody. And that's what really excited me because, because not only do people in Colorado love the outdoors and love getting, you know, outside and getting to see wildlife and getting hiking, but they also have this mindset, Brooke, that they want to help. They want to make a difference and they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And that's, that's where this whole connectivity, this whole, this whole um, uh, sense, of, uh, sense of family has come about over the past almost 23 years that I've been here. So it's, it's, been, it's been amazing, um, you know, when, when you can have an event now and, and, and invite some people out and you end up having 400 people come through the gates. I mean, that's pretty spectacular. Lots of hugging and that we can't do anymore. <laughs> lots of lots uh, of people love you for sure. Lots of people toasting and, and hugging in person rather than me and you doing uh, uh, toasting and, and hugging uh, virtually. <laughs> virtually. <laughs> I know. Well, I promise as soon as COVID's up and we all are cool and healthy, we are mm-hmm. going to be seeing each other in person and we're going yes. to be doing this in person whenever the next update is. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So tell me about that transition. So I was a zookeeper for a while um, Mm -hmm. and I, and we have very similar personalities. So I think that I might know kind of what you're going to say, but what made you want to engage the community? Like what, what was that inspiration 
deep in your soul. Cause having been a zookeeper, there was a lot of my coworkers that were just fine taking care of the, of whatever the collection was, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, zookeeping job I had at the time, they were just fine taking care of them and not dealing with anybody, but you've gone above and beyond. Like you've gone above the call of duty. Why? What's what, why did you decide to do that? I think for me, uh, I want to, uh, I want to spread my passion. I want it to be, uh, I want it to be infectious, Brooke. You know, you only have a finite amount of time. I'm, I'm 52 now. I don't know how much longer my zookeeper career is going to be. There's going to be a time when I'm not going to want to haul hay and shovel and pitchfork. And I'm going to want to, I'm going to want that next, that next step. But, uh, for me, I think it was having a, a captive audience that, you know, wanted to learn and wanted to be inspired. And you just see that with the kids at the zoo. You see that with uh, with your your students and the people in Colorado, you know, that just um, they want to be just big sponges and they will stop you and speak to you and ask you questions and keep you at a demo like 15 minutes longer. And you're supposed to be doing something else, but you you realize that more people are coming up and more people are asking questions. And I think uh, I think just like with our personality type, you wa- you want to talk, you know, you want to uh, engage. And for me, that's that's the thing that you know. I think sometimes in your career, you have to um, you have to mark some things off your list. And when I went up to Alaska and was out in the the wilderness, I mean, I couldn't believe they paid me to be out there you know, collaring bears and canoeing and fishing and panning for gold, waiting for a bear to get in our trap. It was a dream, but it was not a career choice that I could see myself being happy. I needed to surround myself with people of the same mindset. Um, And for me, it just uh, has always been about wanting to uh, make that connection and excite people about animals, excite them about wildlife and, and whatever way I could, you know, just talking the ear off of people at different zoos, you know, when I was a little kid and my mom trying to get me away from zookeepers, <laughs> you know, cause I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to be them. You know, I couldn't believe that they had a job that they got to do that every day. And so for me, it was, it was all about just wanting to spread, spread that passion around, I think. Um, and having the gift of gab. I mean, when you're from the Appalachians, you know, I guess you can, you can chatter. <laughs> oh my gosh. This could be, I mean, my bourbon is tucked away in the cabinet. But you get that out. Well, my accent will come back because you can tell it's coming a little bit. And I feel you. Uh, and well, you want luckily, mine's home. all gone. I don't even have one anymore. So that's you good. do. No, it's still, it's still embraced there in your heart. Now you still have your accent. I love it. I love it. It just reminds me of home. When I do um, the when I do the elephant demos and and rhino demos and stuff and talk to people, I sometimes try to joke around and tell them I'm from Southern Colorado, and they're like, they're, all their heads are like, no. I was like, yeah, like <laughs> Trinidad. I said Pueblo. They're like, Mm-mm. farther it's south like, than that. We know boy. better. <laughs> it's like keep going, keep going. <laughs> we don't claim yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't claim. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so good no i feel you i totally feel you um i think it's probably one of the reasons why we're such great friends it's like huh we get each other like i think we could take each other home and it would be so much fun instant, um, instant rapport yeah <laughs> it really was 
Yeah, from from day one. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. So, I mean, the next part. I mean, I'm thinking about day one. So day one, I met you. I was working at the Children's Museum at the time, mm-hmm. and my incredible boss Kim, um, she had just gotten in your kids' books mm-hmm. into the museum gift shop. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I just met this amazing person, Brooke. You need to meet him. I had just gotten to Colorado and the museum was the first job that I was grateful enough to get. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't in my field, but it was still a nonprofit and I got some mm-hmm. really great experience. And I also got to meet you in, in the process, which is incredible. Um, so kind of bringing it back from your books back. What is the Katie Adamson, Adamson <laughs> Conservation <laughs> Fund? How did it start? How did it come to be? Like, I know it's your baby. Um, Yeah. Tell me about Katie, everything. um, We started, um, you know, I ran that marathon and we went to Nepal in 2010. And we started really, um, I started realizing, you know, took four people that first year and then we went back to Nepal and took 12 the second year. And I was like, wow, this is fun. This is very engaging, taking people out. Um, we were going to open up a new elephant exhibit. And so I wanted people to be in range country with Asian elephants, greater one-horn rhinos, clouded leopards, saurus cranes, all these animals that were going to be at our zoo. So um, so I thought about um, you know taking people over on these trips. And I, I work with the Zoo Explorer Scouts. And so uh, I had also worked with teens uh, in South Carolina at my zoo. So I'd always wanted to uh, help be a mentor. And uh, one of the, the kids that we had uh, at the zoo in our Explorer program was Katie Adamson. And so she, she had worked her way up through the posts. She had interned in hoofstock and primates. Uh, she, had, she had just um, been doing some amazing stuff. And she was at, in college at CSU. And Katie ended up getting a uh, Ewing sarcoma. She got a, a childhood cancer. She fell off her horse. And uh, upon x-rays and stuff, they found a tumor. And she fought it off, Brooke, a few times and kept going back to school, wanted her wildlife degree, wanted so bad to go to Nepal. Um, And then in 2014, uh, Katie finally succumbed to the cancer. So uh, at that time, she was 25 um, when when it finally took her from us. But um, at that point, we had been to Nepal several times. We were getting a bigger community. I'd come out with Elephants of Denver in 2012. And so I I knew I started wanting to write books about uh, conservation and uh, just didn't want Katie's passing to to go unnoticed. I didn't want to lose that. And I knew her parents, I knew her mom and dad, I knew her sister, Heather. So I went to IHOP with them and just told them, I've got an idea. I want to I want to start a nonprofit and use my kids' books, go to schools and use these trips. And, you know, their family was still in shock, you know, and, and Colleen Adamson, you know, you could tell sitting there is she was just so not not wanting to to talk about stuff like this. And they they graciously let us uh, use their daughter's name for our organization. And uh, we're we're very moved, I think, by by that um by us wanting to do that. But um, I think it took several years for John and Colleen to, uh, to, to go to Nepal, to, to start wanting to be involved. Heather's on the board now. John, Katie's dad, was on our board um, 
Uh, they've been in Nepal twice. Uh, they bought South Africa safaris with us, so they're going to go to South Africa with us. Um, so now I think for them, now it's been six years, and I think part of the the pain and the hurt by her loss is now replaced by passion. I think now they're fully engaged in this, and it's all in um, their daughter's name. And so uh, for me, I was looking for something. Um, I wanted to do something more, and I needed something to get my, my butt off the couch more. I needed that, I needed that poke that, that to make me uh, write more books and do more for the world. And Katie's passing was uh, my wake-up call. Wow. I think it also just goes to show your incredible character by... I mean, you could have named your organization in anybody's name, but the fact that you did it in her name is pretty incredible. Like, I can't imagine how how many years were you around, Katie? How? Uh, she had joined Explorers at fourteen, and so uh, I had known her for eleven years. She was in Zoo Crew wow. at thirteen years old. And then joined Explorers at 14. And so when she passed, she passed, she was 25. So uh, I had gone down to see her when she was going through her chemo. I, you know, I was, you know, I was trying to uh, get her positive and get her thinking about what things were going to be like post-cancer. And uh, I'd bring her, you know, Nepal pictures and just talk about our trips. And she just so wanted to go, but she never got strong enough, Brooke, to go after that. So, uh, it was just, uh, and, uh, you know, looking for something more to do. Um, and then having this, uh, this young girl's spirit just kind of awaken something in me. Um, and now Colleen and John are like family, you know, to, mm -hmm. to, to us. I mean, they, they really are. They've become, uh, just like a lot of the KACF community. It is a, a tight knit, wonderful group. I mean, when you go hiking and do the Bardia boot camp in Nepal and you walk on these trails and you have a tiger come out and roar at you, or you have a rhino run at you through the trees. I mean, it, it's very bonding. Yes. <laughs> it's like going to war uh, and yeah. uh, go back to uh, go back to the, the lodge to forest hideaway and have a drink together and talk about the cobra that we saw or the, the tigers and the, it's just uh, been an amazing, uh, wonderful journey for me um, to um, not only do the books, uh, but also to expand people, uh, get their get them out of their comfort zone. You know, you got a volunteer at the zoo, Brooke, that um, talks to people about human elephant conflict or sustainability or conservation. It is one thing for them to read a pamphlet and and try to impart some wisdom. It's another thing to take them to Nepal. It's another thing to see damage that elephants do to, to houses or hear of people, meet somebody that lost their mom to a rhino or lost their, their father to a leopard. Or It is a different world. Um, and I think you bring everybody back and they become just entrenched in the whole philosophy and the concept. And you create a bunch of conservation soldiers. And it, is, uh, it has been life-changing for me. It really has. I really love that you bring that up because um, I feel the exact same way. And I think it takes actually going to these places to really put it in 
context because I used to be the same way. I used to be one of those like, how dare you want to kill an elephant? Mm -hmm. Like, how dare you want to kill a lion? Like, mm -hmm. who, do, who do you think you are? These are these magnificent creatures. Here I am in my little small town bubble, not knowing <laughs> any better. Mm -hmm. And all I know is, and still, by the time I was in my former zoo career, mm -hmm. I still had that very close-minded view as well. Um, it wasn't until I started to travel that I realized that this is actually a real problem. Mm -hmm. I, I don't live with elephants. Mm -hmm. I don't live with rhinos. I, the biggest predator well, I guess wolves just moved across the border, which is very exciting. But mm -hmm. the biggest predator in our state is a mountain lion. Like, mm -hmm. who am I to judge someone else for right. feeling the need to kill that animal? Like, I mean, I'm sure you feel the exact same way. Like, if anything ever happened to Ray or one of your family members, like how you would feel if an animal severely hurt or might have even killed somebody in your family. Like yeah. me, you know, my background is in um, predators. So especially like African predators. And I think the big, the big change for me happened when I went to Namibia and I saw what it took to keep everybody's livestock alive, which was like their currency and also keep these predators alive and how incredible of a system that it took to do that. And cause I mean, one leopard taking out a head of cattle could be the difference of you sending your child to school and you not mm -hmm. like, I mean, this is literally life or death living with some of these animals that you and I just love so mm -hmm. much, you know, just having grown up like, Oh, I, I absolutely love, I mean, the discovery channel. All I did was watch discovery <laughs> channel and, and lions and cheetahs and all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, I was the very similar, similar to you and, mm -hmm. So the fact that you bring people to Nepal and you have these experiences, I think that it just really goes to show and just show people what it's like to actually live with them. Like, mm -hmm. this is what it's like to live with them. Like we can go to a zoo any day and I love taking care of rhinos too, but it's different when you live with them. It's a very different story <laughs> when you live with them, you know, like uh -huh. it's a whole different ball game and tigers. Yes. This majestic tiger that's behind inch thick glass and strong bars that's never going to get to you but mm -hmm. then you take people to nepal and you show them what it's like and what conservation actually is and god that's why i just love your trip so much and to speak of nepal how did that trip come to be like what relationships did you form like how did you start to bring people out there because that's not something that you just like conjure up on a whim <laughs> Well, it was all about, um, you know, the the new Toyota Elephant Passage opening up, and uh, and I wanted we were getting a new species here. the 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 zoo where I work had never had a greater one-horned rhino, so I started doing research about. Um, we already had Asian elephants. I'd already worked with them for years at the zoo, uh, Mimi and Dolly, uh, but I was like, all right, we're getting these new animals in. Um, where where do they coexist? You know, what what countries do rhinos and elephants live together at over in Asia? And I started research and I was like, oh, crap, there's only two. It's just India and Nepal. So I, I started formulating this plan is is to get people excited 
um, about the opening uh, and about my kid's book, Elephants of Denver, about Mimi and Dolly. And uh, I just wanted to up the up the game a little bit. And so went to India, checked it out. They had a lot of people doing conservation, a lot of money. Um, everything was uh, was really uh, like a well-oiled machine. Nepal was different, Brooke. You know, they had um, they didn't have much going on. Um, they had just got out of a civil war. Uh, Maoist, mm, wow. Mao, Maoist uprising had killed thousands of people there. There had been so much poaching. Rhino numbers were down. Tiger numbers were down. It was a uh, it was a different story. It actually was a little bit dangerous for us to go over. They were still advising people not to travel. So I was just going to take one of my uh, my keeper assistants, Chuck, with me. Uh, but then another one, Joanna, caught wind of it, and she said, "Well, me and my husband, we've been in Namibia. We've camped down on these dry river beds, you know, with Dr. Leggett, and you know, you know, you're not going to scare us away from." Nepal. And so the, the four of us went just to just to check it out, just to see what it was like. Uh, go to Chitwan, go to Bardia. Um, and, uh, you know, me and Chuck talk about it all the time. Um, I've been 11 times now to Nepal. Wow. I've, I've taken 150 people um, over. But, you know, you you go over there for the wildlife at first. But then what captures you are the people the people's everyday lives and wanting to help them problem solve, you know, not coming in Brooke with this Western philosophy of you poachers are bad and you're, you're all horrible people, but being open-minded enough uh, when you travel to be like, they're trying to feed their families. They're trying to send their kids to school. If that rhino horn will pay for three years of, of a, a salary over there, um, and put it into the black market. Uh, you know, you've got to come up with different ways to connect with them and to make live wildlife more important than dead wildlife. And sometimes that's just making a connection like like we did with the Chapong. They said, hey, these guys are rhino poachers. Do something with them. They were like, go and meet them and try to figure something out. So we we helped them build a fence to fence in some of their land. Uh, we we paid for it, and actually one year, 2015, we actually helped put part of the fence in. We got them beehives for honey, uh, and the mm -hmm. bees the bees keep elephants away from the community, and it provides them honey. And so every year we go back and we do a little bit more with them. We just had an art contest with the Chapong children to get them engaged um, with uh, with conservation. And so to watch rhino poaching. Uh, in, in just the 11 years we've been going, I mean, until this year, you know, and with COVID and everything, they've had, they've had some rhino poaching in the park. But we went from 10 to 12 rhinos being killed annually in Chitwan to losing uh, a rhino every other year. So, and that's just in, you know, the 11 years that we've been going. We saw, you know, just a, a great increase in and to see people running rhinos out with fire and trying to get them away from the town to then watching them feeding planting plants so that they cross the river and coming and knocking on your door saying there's a rhino in our garden and they're <sighs> they're not trying to 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 show throw fire at them anymore but they're like waking up the tourists to come look at rhinos that are that are in their garden so it was such a, a amazing change of philosophy. And if you keep going back every year, if you keep building on the positives, 
uh, and you watch their children grow up and you, uh, you uh, help. Um, and they know that every year Dave's coming back with more people and they're going to buy honey and they're going to have an art contest with their kids and they're going to come out and do these amazing things. And it's a, a community that cares about them on the other side of the world. And that makes such a difference for people, you know, um, just that we believe in them, you know, and sometimes that alone will keep them from going in the park and poaching, you know, that, that alone will, will have people telling on each other and, and having people, you know, talk them out of going out and killing rhinos. So it's, uh, it's just been a, an amazing way to grow not only our KACF community um, in, in and around Denver, but to keep building it and building it and growing it to where that good feeling, those vibrations are felt uh, everywhere that we travel. And that's, that's what I want. God, Dave, that was beautiful. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so how, I guess just for, for anybody who would want, how did you make the connection? Like, who did you connect with? Like, who was the person that you were able to connect with that got you over to Nepal to show you these kinds of things? Like, I would imagine that there was one incredible person that really changed it for you. That that person was uh, Hamanta Mishra, the author. He wrote Soul of the Rhino. And I had been introduced to um, uh, Eric Dinerstein. Uh, and he's an author. And he said, you should, you should uh, get up with uh, Hamanta Mishra and uh, from Nepal, but living in Virginia now. And so um, reached out to him and uh, he knew World Wildlife Fund Nepal in Sorha. He knew NTNC, the National Trust for Nature Conservation. And so building this relationship with him, we flew him out to come and do a book signing and, uh, and, and had people meet him. Um, and we met him in Nepal one year and we had him just come out again last year, Brooke. Um, he came out again to see us and he stays with Chuck at Chuck's house and, and Chuck's bed That's and breakfast. Awesome. <laughs> and so he, so it was really, it was really Hamanta Mishra that made the difference because he opened up so many doors for us because I think, um, I harassed him enough, <laughs> you know, through emails and phone calls, you know, and just like, Hey, I'm going over there. Who can I meet? Who can I talk to? And I'm sure he was like, God, this guy's annoying, but he's got, he's got so much passion behind this that I'll just throw him a bone. I'll give him a couple of names. You know, we'll give him a, we'll give him a deal, a conservation deal at some of the parks and stuff. So, um, so it ended up being, uh, you know, then we got our foot in the door and that's when it was a game changer. You know, we started meeting everybody and, you know, that first year, Brooke, we, uh, we, we raised about $10,000 with the, the KACF and I was so excited you know, for our little zookeeper, zoo explorer, scout, you know, uh, uh, keeper assistant community to raise 10 grand, you know, because I would never be able to Incredible. give $10,000 to to anything that I love, you know, and, and that philanthropic feel, you know, I was just like, oh, my God, it became contagious, you know, it's something I was like, I want more of that. And so the next year, Brooke, uh, you know, we went from from 10,000 to, to 41,000. The next year after that, we made 89,000. And, wow. uh, and so every year it just got bigger and bolder. And now, now you, uh, 
it's amazing that I would get so excited about a hundred dollar donation. And now this year we got a $20,000 grant. We got a 10, <sighs> we got a $10,000 grant. We got a, a new book grant for $6,000. And it's, it's just, um, it's become to where, you know, our KACF organization now we've gotten out of just doing elephant rhino stuff. And now we're working with frogs in Ecuador. We're working with African wild dogs. We're working with penguins, you know, and we've got this, uh, this whole movement. And a lot of it is, is around the Zodiac kids. And this book has 12 animals for totems for people to uh, engage with conservation by their birthday. And that is a that is a global thing. Everybody has a birthday. Everybody knows when their birthday is. So if you're an April baby, you're that's our elephant month. So all the April kids can have elephants as their totem. Uh, if you're December, you're you're a rhino person. So that's your that's your totem. So uh, so I just so now we're trying to help all twelve species. And and so when I go to schools. I don't have little Sally look at me and like, well, what are you doing for my birthday? It's in, it's in June. It's like, well, Sally, those are penguins and we're helping with sand cob and we're sending zookeepers to work down in South Africa with penguins and they're putting them back to the wild. And so I can have a story like that for any kid that asked me about their birthday. And so, uh, so that's, that's what has fueled this movement into all these other, other realms. So the Zodiac kids, <laughs> From what I remember, that is not your first book, correct? What was your first book? The The first book I wrote was Elephants of Denver, and it was the one about uh, Mimi and Dolly and building a new facility for our, our uh, incoming bull elephants, going from free contact to protected, and just getting the community behind us getting a new exhibit and new animals. Um, so that was, that was about uh, Mimi and Dolly, and that came out in 2012. And then I wrote Nariani, and it was about a little orphaned rhino that was found in Nepal the first year we went, 2010. She had gotten washed away from her mom in the monsoons, had a broken leg, and uh, they were taking care of her at the NTNC. And so, uh, so I, was, I, I wanted to write a book about her and her coming to live with people and being a princess and the animal world and that she changed all the lives for all the animals because she came in to, to the human world and changed people's hearts and minds about wildlife. And so she kind of took one for the team. It's like, eh, sorry, girl, you know, you got a broken leg. <laughs> you got washed away from your mom, but you are going to be a princess because you're going to change attitudes. Um, and she went on to live at the central zoo in, uh, in Kathmandu. So, uh, and then, then I wrote, uh, the Zodiac kids, I think for me, Brooke, I started off with just Denver and the zoo, and then I moved to Nepal and then I wrote something global. And I think it's, it's been kind of mirroring, uh, how our work has been and how it's expanded. And I didn't want to write a book that wouldn't mean anything to, uh, to somebody in another, in another country or another state or another school. I wanted them to be able to resonate and be able to to have these books be uh, something, no matter if you're a kid in New York or a kid in Costa Rica, you know, or somebody growing up uh, anywhere on the planet. And I think uh, I think we're moving even in a different direction now because this next book is called I Am Katie. And it's about Katie turning the, the, the baton, the torch over to the next generation. And we're actually, I'm getting it translated 
And so each page is going to have it, uh, the pages are going to be written in English, in Spanish, in Swahili, and in Nepalese. And so all of wow. the places that we work, uh, we're never going to have to reprint or anything. All these kids will be able to read them and also see what what these words are like in other languages. So uh, so so we're kind of building on that global uh, impact piece. God, that's amazing. God, Dave, you're freaking amazing. <laughs> oh, sweet, sweetheart, we're from the same mold. Yeah. <laughs> you're just you know, such an inspiration. It's a, it's been a fun career, Brooke, and a, an amazing ride. Um, and, you know, I'll have to be honest with you. I have been propped up on shoulders uh, of people for a long time. Um, I have uh, the ability to have an audience by being a zookeeper. Um, but so many people have devoted so much time and energy and, uh, and passion to this project as well. Um, you know, so it's, uh, it's definitely not a, not a one trick pony. It's a, it's a community effort, you know, even, even Ray, my husband, you know, who, when we got together, he knew nothing about animals. He didn't even recycle. I was like, ah, <laughs> like what? <laughs> so yeah. I bought a recycle bin, and and now now uh, he is now he's the assistant director of the fund. He's been in Nepal three times. He just uh, loves all the work we're doing. He did all the graphics for the last two books, and That's amazing. Uh, he is so uh, committed to the uh, the organization and conservation. Tomorrow he's doing a whole talk tomorrow because I'll be at the zoo working. He's going to be doing a whole presentation to a business group about our organization. I just sent it to him and he's going to, he's going to take off and do that. Cause I have to, I have to work. So he already knows now he can talk, talk conservation so well. I'm so proud of him. God, that's amazing. <laughs> Cause you two just got married, right? It was very recent. Yeah. Yeah. We got married in October on the 11th. Oh. So we got married and uh, then we w lived through COVID together. So, uh, so we survived, we survived COVID and a marriage. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> we oh survived my gosh. Uh, two weeks together in pajamas and Netflix as we got yeah. to, to feeling better. So <laughs> yeah, how'd that go? So yeah, so you two did catch COVID. Um, so like, how are you now? How are you guys feeling? Are, are you feeling okay now? Yeah, much better, much better. Uh, okay. Ray had worse symptoms. He had he had it worse than I did. Um, he lost twenty pounds. Um, I gained what? five pounds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You he, just traded. You just traded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was eating throughout, and he was like, "Oh, nothing tastes good. I'm not gonna eat. I just want Jello." Um, and so I was, uh, you know, I had to be home. We had to quarantine together. So uh, we. Uh, just watched a lot of TV and wore pajamas and took naps together. Uh, but uh, it was it was a little scary because um, you know as as you see your your partner's oxygen levels dropping as his fever continues, you know his oxygen went down to ninety two, and I was worried about when I take him to the hospital, you know, and how long is this going to be months that we're going to be battling this? I mean, there are some people out there that have really suffered through this virus and just horror stories. And you wonder, um, is your situation going to turn into a horror story? And it's, it's a little frightening. Um, and then every day that you're feeling better, it's a, it's a little bit 
takes some of that uh, pressure and stress off of you. But I, I'll tell you what, getting back to the zoo, getting back to my team, uh, and those, the, you know, there are some really good therapy animals uh, at our at our zoo. Um, Rudy the rhino, Mahali the hippo, getting to work with them and getting back to them and seeing them really, um, I think, helped with the healing process. Uh, my first day back, though, it felt like I was working on the top of a 14er. I was so tired <laughs> and winded. <laughs> oh, my God, I bet. But, uh, yeah, bet. T- t- today was great. So I'm, I'm six days back to the zoo. So uh, I'm, I'm doing well. Thanks oh for God, asking. God, I'm glad. Yeah, no, I was really worried about you because when we connected to do this, uh, you know, this conversation today, you're like, yeah, so I have COVID right now. Ray also has COVID. And I'm like, Jesus, are you okay? Number one, we can chat whenever later down the road. First of all, are you okay? So that's really great to hear. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. And we don't so know how where... did you meet Oh, that? go ahead. No. Uh, we don't know how we, we don't know how we got it. Uh, really, we mm-hmm. we shut down socially. We'd done a couple things right around Halloween and Ray said, Hey, we need to, we need to be better. You know, we hadn't gone to anything crazy, but, uh, we had, we had been to people's house for a dinner. Um, and, uh, and so he said, we should shut this down. And then around November 8th, 9th is when he started, started feeling sick. But, uh, Mm. so yeah, so it's still, still a mystery how it got us. I'm just so glad that you two are okay. (laughs) <laughs> the world still needs you too. <laughs> still too much to do. I'm still exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm too spicy to go yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not your time yet. No COVID for you. So, how did you meet Ray? I don't think I've ever actually had the opportunity to ask you that. Uh, we were all in a friends group, um, and one of our one of our friends, Greg, uh, introduced Ray to me and my ex uh, uh, buddy. And there, we had about eight guys that all hung out together and did stuff together. Um, and then Ray was seeing somebody long distance in Jersey. Uh, and I, I was seeing Buddy. And uh, as things changed, um, you know, I became single and Ray became single. And we took our friendship. We would go hiking and stuff together and, uh, and talk about our relationships ending. And we kind of were, you know, kind of on each other's shoulder, like, God, this is crappy, you know, because me and Buddy had been together, I think, uh, for eleven years. Uh, wow, it's a long time. And it's a it's a tough it's a tough you know thing when you feel like you're you're pulling apart and everything. So so we would go hiking. It was so funny. Ray back then acted like he liked hiking, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> just trying to uh, impress you. <laughs> oh yeah, he was he was he was definitely when I when I moved in with him later on uh those hiking boots like went right under the bed and he was like oh (laughs) he's like you're going on a death march that's what he called my my hikes he goes i'm not going on a death march today (laughs) (laughs) but uh but that's uh that's kind of how it happened it it grew out of friendship and it grew out of uh us kind of being there for each other um during some hard times so uh so uh so that's that's kind of and which is kind of nice you start off uh as friends and, and, uh, then it just, uh, kind of develops. That's awesome. Um, and feel free to, if you're not comfortable answering, that's totally okay. But how does it feel or what have you experienced being a gay man in the conservation fields 
that since that's not something I've asked you before or nothing that I know from personal hand experience, like what have you experienced in your years in the field? Well, I've, I've not really had um, any real bad experiences, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. Um, we, we did try to keep our wedding kind of uh, under wraps with uh, our global community. Some of the places we work, you know, um, homosexuality is still illegal and banned. And so we didn't really want, um, you know, a lot of people in some of these other other countries to know because it could be dangerous, you know, for us in some of these uh, in some of these countries. But uh, as far as being out in, in Colorado and, and working in amongst the uh, conservation community, I have never felt uh, one iota of, uh, of, of disrespect or, or disregard. Um, I think, I think there are so many gay people in our field. Um, I think the animal field has a lot of very compassionate, um, empathetic people that, uh, that, that really love animals and the horse community, the dog community, the, the zoo community just has a lot of uh, gay couples, male and female. And I think it becomes, you know, kind of the norm that you're just kind of used to uh, a lot of these partnerships developing um, between same sex. And, uh, and I've, I've never felt, uh, I've never felt bad. Um, I think that's a lot of the reason I left the South. I left, you know, my family and, and the Carolinas and wanted to come out here because Denver was a very liberal community. And uh, immediately, you know, they had, they had, um, benefits for same-sex partners you know marriage wasn't legal then but they they let you put your partner on your on your insurance you know with the city of denver and i was like wow what a progressive way to treat people you know it's it's very uh the humanity here was uh you know was overwhelming and when i finally came out at the zoo to some of my friends you know i, I thought oh gosh i i want to make it through you know, six months before I start telling people because I don't want them to judge me. And uh, I ended up telling people like at two months and they were like, so is it, do you know how many gay people work here? It was like such a oh, non, wow. it was a non issue. They're like, oh my gosh, this person in horticulture, these people, that person in that works with cats, that person in primates, you know, it's like, um, there's a lot of gay people here. <laughs> Why didn't you want to introduce us to your boyfriend? <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, ah, I didn't know how, how people would take it. And coming from the South, you just, you just, you know, are very protective, I think of, uh, of your, of your feelings. And, uh, it was always something that, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of in the, in the closet there. Um, so, uh, but yeah, but this has been, uh, Ray's bringing me another beer. He's such a good guy. I know. I, that looked like the beer nod. I recognize that nod. I give it to Lee all the time as yeah, well. Yeah, you're, like, you're, yeah, you're good, Brooke. Help me out. I got the door closed. Or I know he would refill it for me. He's good at that. Mm -hmm. No, thank you for sharing that. Honestly, yeah. like, thank you. Because um, I don't know how many people have had, have heard a story like that. And to hear that, like, especially in other places, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes you do need to move and to hear that. So you did come out in Colorado, like, so mm -hmm. you did leave home. Mm -hmm. And so did you have like girlfriends growing yeah. up or had yep. girlfriends, had girlfriends up until I was about 25. And, uh, wow, and so, um, time. 
Yeah. So, but it was, I, it was something that I knew and I was just trying to, to make the rest of my family and the world happy. So I was, um, so I was not being honest with myself. Uh, and so, uh, so I, I changed out. I took Charmaine home um, to the family. She was a teacher, uh, a really sweet lady. And then I replaced her with Bob, uh, my first, <laughs> my, first <That's> real, <laughs> my first real boyfriend. And uh, the family just had a meltdown and was just like, oh, no, he can't come here for Christmas. You, And so I applied for, uh, for a job and, and got hired in Denver. And I left and I was just like, I said, you know, you guys, uh, you guys enjoy, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to be gone because you could just tell, you know, from some of the family's reactions and, you know, how they treated you after they found out that, uh, that I was with a, with a guy, it was, it was a lot different. Um, but to be honest with you, things have, have so changed over the years. Um, and it's been become so much better, uh, very much, uh, more tolerant. Uh, my family loves Ray. Um, they're, they're He's so easy supportive. to love. <laughs> well, you know, we go home together. You know, my, I think my grandmother was the very best about it. You know, and even her generation, I think she was like, you know, hey, my love is unconditional. You be who you need to be, um, even if it's out there in Colorado, far away from, uh, you know, where you grew up. And I think, uh, I think that made a huge difference. And Brooke, you know, since I've been out and, and honest and open, I've had so many zoo crew and explorer kids come out to me that just needed somebody to talk to. And uh, I mean, probably uh, 10 or 12 now that have come to work with me in Packies or had me as a, as a mentor or an advisor. And just, you know, I've wanted to talk with you because, you know, I'm bi or I'm struggling with my identity. You know, my parents you know, don't want me to date a girl, you know, they want me to have a boyfriend. And, and so uh, both sexes, and, uh, and I think it spreads around with the kids that I'm, I'm open and honest, and we'll talk about stuff like that with them and, and, and give them uh, some feedback. And so they, it's been, uh, it's been amazing. And with the turnaround with the scouts, because our zoo explorers are through the scouts, you know, my, my boss for years was like, hey, don't tell anybody. Uh, and it changed over the years to where I was out and, and telling all the kids and never got any trouble from the Boy Scouts. And uh, and I feel like I've made a difference in some of these kids' lives because I, I can't imagine as a teenager having somebody that I could have talked to about, you know, about these these pains, this angst that you feel when you realize like, oh, crap, I like I like guys better than girls. I'm dating a girl, but I'm more attracted to her father or her brother. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, this, yeah. pretty, this pretty girl, I, you know, I love, she's awesome. But, oh, my God, there's her dad driving by on a lawnmower <laughs> with, his, <laughs> with his shirt off. And I'm like, what, what's wrong with me? <laughs> so I would have loved having somebody to, to be able to, to chat with about stuff like that and just and figure out that you're you're not broken. You know, you are you are who you are and you should be able to love who you love. And because of that, what was allowed to grow within me uh, once I I loved myself and was able to be myself 
that's what led to all this other stuff, all these other doors opening because uh, I got to Denver and I accepted who I was. And I had a wonderful community that accepted me for who I was. And uh, they love, you know, they love me and Ray, you know, together. And uh, they, they love that we're a union and a couple and don't feel at all uh, at any unease about us being around. So uh, I think uh, I think that's uh, been very special for me, Brooke, and just another reason that I love Colorado. That's so beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. I really do appreciate it. You're welcome. So any, any advice that you have given to anybody who either hasn't come out or maybe they're scared to travel or anything like that who is in you know the LGBTQ community, what is some advice that you have for them either like coming out or maybe traveling internationally, like any kind of advice that you've given before, kind of what would you, what would you say to people? Yeah. When, when we went to Tanzania, um, we had, uh, we had a couple of uh, youngsters that were very outspoken and very out in the community already very politically active and had a lot of uh, very um, gay friendly shirts, you know, lots of rainbows and lots of, uh, and, I had to talk with them, Brooke, about leaving that kind of stuff at home. Uh, and it was a hard conversation because, you know, you want people to be able to be themselves. But uh, uh, I had to, to, to tell them, it's like, this is for our safety as a group. This is for your safety over in these countries because we're going to be far away from, um, from a lot of uh, our kind of political views and our um, – so – you know, and I think they they took it really well. Uh, but my my uh, my advice here is uh, is for always um, for for them to be themselves, and that they'll know the right time to come out when it's going to be um, when it's going to be right for their family and their parents. Um, and you can tell the ones that are ready to take that step. And I've always offered you know any help if you want me to be there. If you want me to go with you and, and be at the dinner or or whatnot, but uh, I think uh, I think I've really tried to have people understand that uh, whether they're with the uh, opposite sex or same sex, you know, it's not understand that everything is freakishly, you know, you know, filtered down to to like you know scary levels when you're 16, when you're 17, um, but in just a few years it's not going to be a big deal. It's not going to be, you're going to be in college. You're going to be out of the house. Um, you're not going to be under this microscope of who are you dating? Who are you seeing? And, uh, and, uh, so for me, I think ad advising them about, um, the timing and about, uh, understanding that who they love is, is, you know, every year that I get older, it matters less and less, you know, to the rest of the world. Uh, people are, coming out in middle school now they've got you know they've got lgbtq gr help groups you know in fifth and sixth grade and i was just like wow that is amazing coming from somebody that always knew but didn't have didn't have the power to come out um within myself until i was 25 and kind of did it as a drop the mic, you know, okay, bye. I'm gay. Moving to here's Denver. Bob. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here's, here's Bob. Oh, you don't like him. Okay. I'm piecing out anyways. So bye. <laughs> no, you can't call Charmaine. I'm not getting back. Yeah, with no, her. You can't call Charmaine. 
<laughs> is her dad single? That's what I want to know. Like... <laughs> oh, so funny. No, thanks for that. Thanks for that, for sure. Um, just, yeah, having traveled to like international places and just having to walk that fine line. I mean, even just being a woman in other yeah. countries, mm -hmm. just, just alone, like yeah, dressing incredibly conservatively. Like mm -hmm. I've been to some places where I stuck out like a sore thumb. So like completely understand. I mean, it's just, just noticing that it's not necessarily you. It's like, it's a completely different culture. Like mm -hmm. we live in an amazing country that is so accepting no matter what anybody's political views are, no matter what anyone feels in this recent election or anything, like mm -hmm. we live in an insanely amazing country. Mm -hmm. And I think that it takes traveling to these other places to really see that, mm -hmm. to really experience it firsthand, what it's like to not be yourself just because of who you are. Like, mm -hmm. just because I am the way I am, I'm not accepted here. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you grow a lot as a person mm -hmm. when you really see what that's like in other places. So, and I mean, you've, uh, you've, uh, you've experienced that Brooke at a very young age. You've, you've had your eyes opened um, to that, you know, because you've been out there way earlier than I was. And uh, you've, uh, you've, you've, uh, you've really had people show you um, uh, this road that you're on. And you're right. Uh, being a woman, I mean, I, I see it a lot. You have to be very, very careful and cautious over there. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a big world. But uh, you're you're right about uh, you're right about here. Um, for the most part, our uh, our country is is very tolerant and loving, uh, no matter what your religion or your ethnicity. Or I feel a lot of warmth from the Denver community, um, no matter you know, what, uh, what you bring to the table. And that's, uh, yeah. that's, that's why I've wanted to stay here. I really have. I've, I've wanted to stay here because, uh, working alongside a bunch of different people and realizing that, uh, you know, the, the love that people share, um, is, is just boundless. I completely agree. Like the, the community is so immense. Like it's so <laughs> immense. It's really, it's really amazing. It's like, once you get into the network, then I mean, you're in, then mm -hmm. you're in and you know, everybody and had the opportunity to meet so many people through you and through everyone else. So it's been, it's been quite amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, kind of now I really wanted to chat about just so, okay. So it kind of makes sense how you said with the Zodiac kids, that's kind of how at least some of the recent projects that you've done have been born out of. Mm -hmm. But to come back to KACF, what are some of the projects that you've done and what have you expanded to? What are some of the countries that you work in most? Kind of kind of share with that how you how you pick regions to go to. Well, uh Nepal was our first, you know, and and that was because, you know, we we talked about that, the Asian elephants, greater one-horned rhinos and when we started um moving into other areas, um, you know, India, uh, because it was right near Nepal. And, uh, so that was kind of, a an easy, an easy move. We did some, uh, uh, we helped support some, some researchers down there that were working with, uh, working with sloth bears and, uh, and pangolin. Um, and so then, 
I think the Zodiac Kids book did help us branch out. But a good story um, that I like to tell people when they when they talk about this is um, I had one of my Zoo Explorer scouts, uh, Keith Erickson. Uh, he climbed Kilimanjaro with us for for black rhinos. Um, then he went down to Costa Rica with us, and he climbed mountains down there for jaguars, and uh, and 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 helped start um, the sea turtle work that we're doing. Um, jaguar is February, sea turtle is August, so got got two animals in. And um, he came to me and he said, uh, he said, Dave, I love doing this stuff with you. You're so passionate about pachyderms and and uh, and now jaguars and sea turtles because you know but uh, but he said i love frogs and amphibians and amphibians are are getting hit so hard now on the planet we're the losing yes the chytrid fungus yes and, it, and we're just losing so many of our frogs and toads and salamanders and everything and so he said that's my passion and uh i said well you i said keith you know, you, you've been right here with us uh, for years, him and his brother, Craig, you know, we're zoo explorers. I said, you find something that you want to commit to and bring it to me. And he did. He found some work going on down with Wakiri in Ecuador. And we've sent him down now twice to do some frog conservation work. And, uh, and it's, that's how that has grown just because somebody in our community, you know, brought that up and has and has their own passion you know uh, i had a keeper come to me and she was just so heartbroken about not getting involved with conservation she had moved from disney to denver to get involved and she just kept getting turned down and turned down and she came to me and she had big tears in her eyes she goes i just want to go work with vultures and penguins and i came to denver to do that and i've been here like 10 years and i've not been allowed the chance to do it and so we got to send her down to work with sand cob and she got to release African penguins back to the wild. And she gave a presentation to our community, Brooke, and and broke into tears, you know, talking about getting to to do that. And and so we sent her down to work with Volpro. So so she got to work with vultures and with penguins. And uh, that's exactly what she wanted to do. And and that's what um, you know, when I have these zookeepers that come to me with the same problems that I had a decade ago, 15 years ago, that are struggling with who am I? What am I doing in this career? Uh, I don't want to just be a shit shoveler. <laughs> you know, I want to make a difference. Help me make a difference. And and now we have um, 53 staff involved all around the world that are going all these places that they dream of, and we're helping to support them. Um, and that's how this thing is moving out. When I have a primate keeper come and say, Hey, the zoo won't help me with these um, Miroquai, these woolly spider monkeys. They're two female spider monkeys in Brazil, and there are no males at this park. And I need $1,000 to get to this organization to, to catch those two female Miroquai, very endangered primate, and move them somewhere where they can breed and have offspring. Um, and so we did that together. I gave her a thousand dollars and they moved those female Miroquai. But I said, Hey, this is not just daddy Warbucks giving you money. I said, this is, this is a commitment. This is a, a process, a plan. What are we going to do together? Um, so that thousand dollars to Abby for Miroquai turned into us having a, uh, a, a comedy event um, and her all female improv group performed. And we ended up, making $3,000 that night 
Um, and that's what Abby brought to the table once we had helped her establish that stuff in Brazil. So it, it all just, I think it all just feeds off of positivity. And I would have never thought about a Miroquai. I would have never thought about this Brazil work, but she turned us on to something and, uh, and, and we made it happen. And I think that's what, uh, that's what the KACF has, has done for me is to allowed me to help other zookeepers and, and people that have passion be able to reach their dreams because it's, it's important, Brooke. It really is. Um, it's, a uh, it changes the way you look about your job and your career. If you're just allowed to do just a little bit to make a difference, uh, in the positive for the planet. And, uh, that's, that's why I've been really open to all these different, uh, communities and, uh, and who, who wants to do stuff, you know, as long as it's not outrageous and it's going to cost us like $50,000 or something, but uh, you know, we gotta, gotta say no sometimes, but, uh, for the most part, we've been very, um, very willing to, to get, you know, people, uh, involved in their dreams, uh, got to send some guys down to work with bees in Africa, you know, that are, that are work with bees here in Colorado, uh, sent uh, some of our staff, we sent some primate keepers and a maintenance guy down to Ecuador to work on some, some primate, uh, primate, um, rewilding projects. So getting, you know, howler monkeys and spider monkeys back to the wild, um, and having two primate keepers and a guy that was into fabrication and welding and could, could help a facility like that. So it's all about, um, taking this big table of a puzzle you know, it, to me, this is how my life is now and trying to make everything kind of fit together cohesively to where everybody's happy and challenged and, and making a difference in the world. So. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, being on the receiving end, cause you know, I went to Tanzania last year yeah. yep. and I was just a tag along. <laughs> I mean, I had a freaking blast. I had so much fun. I love watching you dancing, dancing with the ladies. I was dancing the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, Courtney and Judy both said there was way too much dancing. We had to dance with every (laughs) every women's group for four days. They were all like blowing those whistles and dancing. But, uh, you know, those are the things that just grow out of, you know, hey, we've got this Diana Inchambe, this lady that's a a chief warden, uh, 30 chief wardens in Tanzania, one woman. And I had three really up and coming power women like Courtney. And I was like, hey, let's elephants are matrilineal. They're girl power. Diana's girl power. Let's do a girl power trip. These women dancing here in their community are all girl power. And so it was all about, about building up women and the, the women in our community, like yourself, Brooke, uh, it's the future of conservation. You know, when I got into this field, it was it was a bunch of sausage. It was all guys, you know. <laughs> and 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 now now the women are are taking over and doing such amazing things, you know. So cheers to to you guys. And for y'all to go to Tanzania as a group of gals together. We're like, yeah, we're going to go. We're going to go watch some dancing. We're going to go travel around Tanzania together. Um, it was, it was life-changing. That's for sure. (laughs) It was awesome. I'm really glad I was there. I mean, I've traveled like that before, so it wasn't 
it wasn't as much of a culture shock, I think, as uh-huh. for some of the ladies on the trip, which was which was amazing. <laughs> Courtney and I bonded very hard on that trip. <laughs> She's like, "Thank God you're here." No, it was we had a lot of fun. Somebody else that's so been fun. been abroad and uh, can help exactly. me. Exactly. And you know, Courtney has been through there. some crap. Courtney was there with us the year before, and so she got to meet all those players. And so, uh, you know, now she's in Houston. She just won our our Katie Award this year for for all the stuff. She's we were supposed to be down in Houston, um, you know, working together. COVID kind of stopped all of that, but now she's training tigers, and I'm uh, hoping to get her to Nepal, working with our tiger conservation community next year. So uh, let me know if you're free. <laughs> She and I might have talked about that. So now you're in the loop that that conversation has happened. But no, yeah, for real. I was like, I, I'm not joking. I was like, do you want to do a repeat? She's like, do you want to come to Nepal? And I'm like. <laughs> We've seen lion so. and cheetah and leopard together. So we need to, we need to now go to Asia. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so now that this trip has just been sprouted, we'll just we'll just leave that there. It would be great be because incredible. of your because of your cat passion and your background. You know, it'd be it would be awesome. We've uh, you know, we've got a uh, some leopard stuff going on there, some tiger stuff going on there, mm-hmm. uh, cl- clouded leopards, snow leopard, fishing cats it's a it's such a great community now we have these three girls that are doing snow leopard work in dolpa that um alex dudley just found and there are three women that are starting up the snow leopard conservation work and they are they are seeing snow leopards and taking people up in the winter and trekking up there and showing them snow leopards and so it's going to be amazing so can i meet uh, them (laughs) That's like the next species on my list that I'm dying to see. I've seen so many of the big cats, but snow leopards is insanely high on my list now. That's uh, that's where we're going to be moving uh, next and engage those gals uh, and with our with our strong women community and help them out because they started this themselves. So I've just been uh, the the main girl Shearing is her name. And we've been talking via email, but uh, but they're just starting this out in uh, in Dolpa, and that's where the snow leopard. That's where George Schaller uh, and Peter Matheson kind of did their snow leopard trekking back in the day. So if you haven't read that book, that is an awesome awesome read. What's the book called? I'll make sure I put it um, in the notes for this episode. It's called The Snow Leopard by Peter Matheson, and it's uh, okay. it's about him and George Schaller. And there's a you know just a it it really made me want to go to Nepal when I read that book back in the day. Uh, I was just like, man, that is one country. Seeing Chitwan and, uh, you know, I haven't seen snow leopards either. We tracked up in the Annapurnas with one of our groups last year. But uh, but seeing a snow leopard in the wild would also be on my list. So uh, it may be an all-gals team with Dave. I'll have to wear a wig. You're always accepted. <laughs> Dave, you can always come. You will always be the exception in any trip you're allowed. Who's that burly, hairy woman? She needs to shave in the morning. Helga, get up here. That'd be wonderful. That would be wonderful. And even just them coming on and sharing their story here, like that would be incredible as well. Like anything that we can do as a community to you know just help out everybody's story get out that would be incredible 
I've got a couple of keepers down the springs that want to do some snow leopard stuff. So uh, I figure, and they're both they're both girls, and so uh, they were. I think they're. I think it'd be a really great fit. You know, my my mm-hmm. books are. Mm-hmm. They sell my books down at the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo, and so a portion of that is going to go to keeper travel. So I told uh, I told Sarah and Basha that we could try to get them over to Nepal. But just fleshing this out now, it's a definitely a new. It's a new find. Um, our conservation liaison, Alex Dudley, I've known him at the zoo since probably he was in high school, and uh, he he found these ladies for us. So he's been doing a lot of work for us um, on the side. He's a conservation journalist and everything. I think you've met him at some, maybe the cheetah event. Um, but he um, that name sounds insanely familiar. Yes. So uh, so yeah, he's been uh, he's been working with the fund, uh, since he got out of grad school, he just, he just finished his master's and was in, um, in Uganda working, uh, uh around Kabali with the chimps and gorillas and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so finished that up. And so he, he found these, these gals and, and we've been chatting, uh, via, via, um, email. Uh, she's out in the field right now. She's going to be away for like a month, but she said, uh, she left me some really positive messages about, uh, about what we could do together. Uh, I think we're both excited. I think we could both, uh, both really, uh, uh, help each other out with this new partnership and and check those off our list, Brooke. Yes. We got to go together. (laughs) We got to go together. We have not, I mean, of everything that we've done, we've not traveled together yet. So we definitely (laughs) need to check that one off the list too. Oh my God. (laughs) Uh, the, we'll have to have a special group with us because they'll be like, oh, yeah. my God, you can't shut them two up. <laughs> no, it would just be constant. It would be nonstop. We would just pull have the, so much fun. Pull the alcohol away from them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I've always wanted to ask you this. What is your craziest or funniest travel story? Oh, gosh. Craziest or funniest travel story um this might be the same thing but (laughs) (laughs) well um and i want to one of my one of my favorite crazy stories uh in nepal is um uh ray's first trip um and there's a bull elephant and must around the village and around bardia national park and he's in must and just hormonally challenged destroyed a vehicle by Forest Hideaway where we were at the night before. And you can smell him, Brooke. I mean, that that bull elephant must, I mean, it is just this this uh, reeking uh, sex smell. And so <laughs> we're out doing Bardia Boot Camp, which is like all day hiking out in the National Park, which is incredible. Um, it is hard. You know, you pretty much go out from 7 in the morning until 7 at night, and you probably put in 10 or 12 miles, you know, where there are tiger elephants rhinos cobra it's it's amazing but ray's first trip there um we uh we had a hike unlike one we had ever had before (laughs) um we uh we were we were trying to avoid this bull elephant you know looking for his tracks looking for his dung trying to figure out where this guy was um then a, a rhino was on the trail right in front of us and we all stop and it was just like like almost like dominoes, like everybody kind of hit and uh, somebody's water bottle crinkled. And so the rhino spun around and it ran at us and then ran parallel through all these, all this brush. And so, I mean, talking about 
changing your underwear. It was like, you know, 5,000 pounds running at you and then decided to, to veer off, you know? So it was like, oh my God, that was so close. Uh, wow, that was crazy. That's going to be a story for us when we get home. Five minutes later, um, our guide just um, elevates up off the ground and he's taking his stick and knocking it on the trail. There's a black cobra on the trail right in front of us. And Ray hates snakes. And, uh, and so he's like, oh God, there was a cobra like right in front of me. The cobra takes off. So we keep, we keep walking, um, avoiding the bull elephant. And we come up through the trees into these grasses. Uh, all this elephant grass is like 10, 12 feet high. And you have to walk through on a path through all this elephant grass. And they've told you that if you have to run from this bull elephant, you have to run and zigzag and make quick turns because the elephant can catch you. And so they're telling us this. And then we have to walk through this, this line where if you zigzag, it's going to be, you know, you're not going to be able to move at all because of all these grasses. So it was like uh, very, very nerve wracking. We went probably a few hundred yards into the grasses and then smelled that bull elephant again. Everybody stopped. And our guides, there's one in the back and one in the front. They both have bamboo sticks. That's our only protection. You know, nobody has a gun. Nobody has a flare, <laughs> a fire thrower, nothing like that. It's like two bamboo sticks. And uh, we've stopped and all of us are like, all right, we smell it. It's close. Um, where are we getting ready to run to? Uh, and right behind Ray uh, burst out of the grasses, these three red jungle fowl, um, which are pretty much chickens. Uh, but they made the ruckus right behind him. And he, he screamed so loud, <laughs> just this high pitched, you know, like a, like a kid, like a kindergarten girl on fire, you know, it was just like, <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and they were just jungle fowl. It wasn't an elephant killing him. Uh, and, and <laughs> Chuck, my keeper assistant, he was laughing so hard, Brooke, he had <laughs> tears rolling down his cheeks and, Ray was like, you know, shut up, Chuck. He said they were, they were, they were three chickens. They flew out behind my feet. They scared me. And and Chuck was like, actually, there were four chickens over there. <laughs> so we had uh, we had some beers back at camp, and everybody's hands were kind of shaken from that uh, from that from that walk. But uh, that was probably. That was one of the crazier days in Nepal out in the field. Uh, rhino, cobra, bull elephant, and chickens. <laughs> <laughs> including your husband. Yeah, including my including husband. Your husband. 200-pound <laughs> chicken. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's incredible. I know. Incredible. That was good. That was great. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's been great. So kind of... Now, what, what asks do you have of anybody listening for next steps of maybe what they can do in their lives on how they can help the wildlife that you love so much? Um, I think uh, people listening, uh, they can have us out. We're trying to get, uh, we're trying to get in all 50 states. So uh, we're slowly um, trying to go do talks and sell our kids' books uh, in all 50 states. Uh, so every year we put a few new ones in. We went up and spoke in Minnesota last year, and it's ended up we're going to take some uh, surgeons from the Mayo Clinic to South Africa 
uh, with us. They're, they want to get involved. They want to do some conservation uh, uh, trips with us. Um, but I think uh, having us out, um, uh, selling, selling the kids' books with us, uh, I'm trying to get schools, Brooke, to sell conservation instead of cookies and candy and popcorn. You know, these kids come to your door all the time and they want to sell candy bars or anything. But books last longer and they don't make your kids fat, <laughs> you know, uh, and That's so, a plus. yeah, no diabetes, <laughs> no diabetes, <laughs> you know, so many good things come out of, uh, doing conservation instead of cookies and candy. Um, but, um, that would be really helpful. And we do, uh, we do conservation work with schools to where they get half of the funds. So if you sell a Zodiac kids book, it's $12, our KACF gets six and your school gets six for your soccer tournament, for your library, for whatever you're raising money for. So that's been um, that's been an ask for this past year. Uh, and I think with the new book coming out next spring, I'll have four books out there. Um, and it's just, uh, it'd be great for people in some of the states. You can look at the states on our map on, a, on the website and see if we've been to your state, uh, but maybe have us out. Uh, we were supposed to be in Houston last year, Chicago, uh, we we're supposed to be back up in San Francisco. They're selling our our books uh, at the three zoos in the Bay Area, uh, and we've got some schools there. Um, we got shut down this year, but uh, we hopefully will be back at it uh, next year. And so maybe we can come visit uh, visit you. We got a little girl in Ohio that is making uh, bracelets for rhinos. Her name is Harper, and so she really wanted us to come out and see her. Um, over uh, they had a little fundraiser in February, but we were we were going to Nepal, so I couldn't make to her fundraiser. But Harper has made so many bracelets, and she has donated thousands of dollars to the KACF. And she's seven; she's seven wow. years old. And we're highlighting her in uh, December. Now we're in our Rhino Month, so we're going to highlight her and all of her work and all of her Rhino passion. But uh, I think those would be some of the things, Brooke, uh, and maybe uh, maybe join us uh, uh, somewhere on the planet. Uh, go to Costa Rica with us. Go to we're going to go reforest uh, Borneo. We're going to go plant some trees in Borneo next year. We're going to go to South Africa. Uh, we're we're planning on going back to Nepal. We may have a wedding to go attend. Um, so one of one of the gals that we helped get through college, uh, we, we put her through college. She's getting married. So uh, we may all go back next year and go to her wedding. So uh, Wow. <laughs> my gosh. Well, I said so. I'm turning 30 next year. Oh. So that's I just a... had my birthday. <laughs> Literally just had my birthday. So this is like my last year in my 20s. And so next year, I was like, I really want to go to Costa Rica. Okay. So... I'm just going to drop that right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, if uh, is your birthday um, in November or December? Mm-hmm. November twenty eighth. November twenty eighth. Okay, so uh, you're an orca. You're you're. That's I'm an your, orca. That's your totem oh, animal. Um, so awesome. so so we're working with a uh, with a scientist up out of Seattle, Dr. Giles, and her 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 dog sniffs out orca poop. So uh, what? Yeah, the dog finds orca cool. poop. And they can check um, DNA. They can check for um, cortisol levels for stress in the orca population. So, uh, so that's your birthday totem, Miss Brooke. Oh my gosh, uh, that's awesome! But, of course, uh, it's just a water predator. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes sense. Of course, it's, but, it just um, makes sense. But we wolves of the sea, you know. <laughs> we were supposed to be in Costa Rica in October um, for uh, when all the sea turtles come to shore. 
um, and, and lay their eggs. And they have jaguars that prey on them. And there were four of us going to be hiking down with our team and camping out in tents um, and, and seeing the jaguar that are preying on the sea turtles or stuff. So something that might so be, might be cool for be your 30th. Your <laughs> <laughs> you might have to well, go with us. Fun. You might have yes. to go with us. So I'll just bring Lee along. Like I said, he's, he has muscles. It's great. If you ever need anybody to move anything, he's the guy for you. <laughs> he can carry your pack. <laughs> exactly. He can carry all the things. Hey, Sherpa Lee, get over here. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that Arabata, like hundreds and hundreds of sea turtles are there at that time of year. And, uh, wow. and so we had to cancel, we couldn't go, but that's definitely some place that I want to be, um, this next year too. So Costa wow. Rica, take it off your list and get to Let's see go. Jaguar, get to see Jaguar in the wild. <laughs> they had video Brooke like 10 feet away, just them sitting there watching this Jaguar eating on a sea turtle and they filmed it with their phones. That's <laughs> so. insane. Yeah. I mean, I was supposed to be in the Pantanal this past September to see Jaguars, but you know, life had other plans, which is totally fine. Mm -hmm. So if I get to see him in Costa Rica, which that's even way more rare. So that would <laughs> right. be in way more special. So and that would be on foot, on foot instead of on a boat. So, oh my God, <laughs> dropping that nugget. That might just have to happen. <laughs> Sorry, Courtney. No, Nepal. <laughs> Sorry, Courtney. Maybe both. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Oh, no, that's great, Dave. Thank you. Um, so what are some of the ways that people can connect with you? Like what's your website? Are you on any social media platforms? Yeah, I think the easiest is uh, kacf.eco uh, is our website, uh, Katie Abson Conservation Fund. Um, and then uh, Heather Schwartz is our social media director. So uh, she's really active for us on, on Facebook and, and Instagram. Um, and so we've got a big presence there. And uh, our, our Katie's Night event, we had to do virtual um, back in October. We moved it a couple times, hoping that we could do a live event, but uh, we ended up having a virtual event. So, And we sell animal art and stuff. If, so we, we uh, had a wolf speaker. So if anybody wants to, uh, to get, get up with us for Katie's Night, we had almost 400 people on our Zoom, and we ended up making $36,000, Brooke, in one night. So that was pretty, amazing. pretty special. That goes so far in all the countries where we work. It's just uh, amazing how, how, how that money will be stretched between Tanzania, Nepal, Costa Rica, Ecuador, Vietnam. So, um, so yeah, but, uh, but yeah, so see us on the website and, uh, and, and reach out to me if, uh, if you have some, some kids or, uh, schools or any, uh, any type of uh, partnership that we could do together, that would be great. Um, I'd love to come out and do uh, do talks for the community. Um, and so uh, I'm kind of a slut that way. I uh, I get I get around. Talk slut. <laughs> <laughs> I'm off on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, so I can I can go to schools on my days off. You know when that was still when schools were open, <laughs> and uh, you know it just. Uh, it's fun juggling all that stuff and, and staying busy. You know, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's been a pretty exciting run the last few years. So I look forward to 2021 and seeing what's going to open up Brooke for me and you both. Yeah, maybe, absolutely. maybe, maybe several trips together. 
Maybe. I love the sound of that. I'm totally down, you know. <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, this is great, Dave. And until next time. Thank you. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of Rewildology. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button to never miss a future episode. Do you have a cool environmental organization, travel story, or research that you'd like to share? Let me know at rewildology.com. Until next time, friends, together we will rewild the planet.